Our text this evening is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, but we are going to read the first 11 verses. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Pay attention to it. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which we have just read, and we ask that you would add your blessing to it, that you would open our ears and our eyes, that we would receive your word with joy and humility, and that you would be with me as I preach your word, that you would give me the words to say and the manner in which to say it, that your word and your name would be exalted above all things. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, there's a scene where Frodo and the hobbits uh, are at the Prancing Pony, an inn, a bar. And they ask the innkeeper who the man over in the corner is, who is just staring at them, just sitting there in his hood, in his cloak. And they say, who's that? Who's that man over there? And the innkeeper says, oh, well, that's one of them rangers from the north. We don't know his real name, but around here he's known as Strider. And what you see is is a man who is filthy. His clothes are tattered and, and dirty. He has no outward form of glory or beauty that you should recognize who he is. But of course, as the story unfolds, we find that this strider was Aragorn, the son of Arathorn. He is the heir to the great king. He is the rightful king. And and what did the hobbits say? They say, who is that? And, And you get a sense of that here in this passage. You have Jesus Christ the Son of the living God, 
God of gods, light of lights, King of kings, and Lord of lords, who bears no outward form of glory. He bears the form of a servant, despised and rejected by men. But of course, as that story unfolds, you see him for who he truly is, the reigning king on the throne. Well, verses 5 through 11 is the indicative to Paul's previous imperatives in verses 1 through 4, the commands. And then Paul here in verses 5 through 11 is saying, this is Jesus who exemplified these, who fulfilled these things. Now, act in the same manner. Now, is 5 through 11 just an example for Christians to live by? Well, of course not. But it is not less than that. It is not less than that. And and all these imperatives that we have in the first four verses hang on verse 5, which says, Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And, and that mind is on display here for us. It speaks as to who Jesus is, who Jesus was, and what he has done for his people. And yet this text is giving us much more than an example to live by, to live by. Moses Silva says this. He says, those who are united with Christ live as he did. And so the notion of Jesus as an ethical example is implicit in Philippians 2.5 by the very nature of the subject matter. It should be pointed out, moreover, that Romans 15.5, which I'll read in a moment, is set precisely in the context of an appeal to Christ as the model of one who did not please himself. That passage he quoted from Romans, I have a few verses here, This is Romans 15. Paul says this, For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on Me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And so Jesus is presented as the highest example for Christians to live by. And so the heart of this passage is, who is this Christ and what has he done? There was one author who said, Paul tells the story of the king who stooped to serve and who, by serving, conquered. He shows how Christ's mindset of selfless love found expression in his incarnation humiliation, and death, leading to his exaltation to unparalleled heights of glory. 
And so with that, we're going to take this passage in three parts. Stanza one, and it is a stanza in the Greek. This is a hymn. This is one of the early church hymns. Stanza one is the heights from which Jesus stooped. Stanza two is the depths to which Jesus stooped. And stanza three is the exaltation, the highest heights to which he soared. Stanza one is verse six, which says, Who though in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So the question is, where did Jesus descend from? Well, he was in the form of God. This is Paul speaking as to his essential attributes. Essentially, what Paul is saying is, Jesus Christ was and is holy, completely God. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Getting a little ahead in the text, but if you look at verse 9, where it says that therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, that is referring to Isaiah 45. And you can go ahead and turn there if you would. Isaiah 45. Forty-five, verse 22 and 23. Isaiah says this, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And the context here, of course, in verse 14 is, thus says Yahweh, 15, uh, 18, excuse me, for thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens. He is God, who formed the earth and established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am Yahweh, and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness, I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, Yahweh, speak the truth. I declare what is right. The context here is the covenantal God of Scripture. What Paul is saying is this Jesus is, without doubt, Yahweh. He is holy, completely fully God. You have other references, of course, uh, from Psalm 33, you see, by the word of Yahweh, the heavens were made. By the breath of His mouth, all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. And so on. The point of this is that Jesus is the Creator of all things. Jesus is Himself God. And for most of us here, we, we take that for granted. Right? This is something that most of us have been raised with from since we were little children, that Jesus is Himself God. But as you go out into the world, you will find that that is a strange idea for many to conceive. 
Remember that when you go out into the world and you have opportunity to share the gospel. There are many who do not understand that, and that is a hard concept for man to believe. So the highest, the heights from which Jesus stooped. I want us to consider briefly an illustration from Genesis 11, and the Tower of Babel. I love this story because you you have all of mankind gathering together against the command of God to spread out and multiply and fill the earth. You have all of mankind gathering together and essentially saying, let us make ourselves God. And so they build a tower to the heavens, as it were, to claim their throne above the earth. And, And the text is is wonderfully ironic, and you have to appreciate this. It says, and Yahweh came down. He came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. It's as if God has to step off of his throne and peer down at the earth just to see what mankind is doing while men exalt themselves. And the point here is, is Paul is saying, this Jesus, these are the heights from which he descended. The one who was enthroned above the earth. And so we go back to the question, what does it mean to have that mind among yourselves? To have that mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, the one who, as it were, forsook His glory. The God of the universe who is worthy of all praise, all glory and honor. Became man. He took the form of a servant. What does that mean for you in your lives? When I think very practically of anger. Anger, the heart of anger is I'm right and you're wrong and you're in my way. I'm right. Give me what's due me. And there's a great arrogance with that, isn't there? And when you have Jesus who is truly owed all glory and honor, what did he do? He he did not immediately demand that glory. He did not say, all mankind, bend the knee right now and confess me as Lord. No, he humbled himself. And when when we engage in anger or various other sins of that nature, it's, there's a profound arrogance to say, I'm worthy of this, whatever it is. And yet it was Jesus who humbled himself. We ought to have that same mind among ourselves. And that brings us to stanza two, his humiliation. And that is the depths to which 
Jesus stooped. Which is the latter half of verse 6 up through verse, uh, through verse 7. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So there are three passages that I'm going to consider as we, we look at this text here. You have Isaiah 40, one of my favorite passages. We have pictured in this passage God holding the waters in the hollow of his hand. And verse 15 says, Behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Verse 17, All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Verse 22, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. And what Paul is saying is this Jesus took on the form of mankind. Not only that, but he took on the form of a servant. He became what he himself has likened unto himself as grasshoppers. He says all the nations before him are as as nothing, the fine dust on the scales. Do you get that picture in your head? You have the two scales. There is the dust which does not move it one way or another. They're nothing. And in Mark 4, you have this portrayal of his deity there as well. When you have the apostles on the ship and Jesus on the ship, and this great storm is battering against the ship, they come in rushing into Jesus and say, why are you sleeping? And, and what does Jesus do? He says, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Well, they were afraid for their lives, but they, they didn't understand that Jesus, the God-man, God in human flesh, stood before them. Because this is a concept which is hard for us to grasp. Here's God in flesh right before me. And what did he do? He said, peace, be still. And with a word, the winds and the sea were calmed. Well, how did they respond? Mark is is making a rhetorical question there. But they say, who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? The only one who can control the winds and the sea is God himself. And yet, his closest friends still did not understand who he was. It's that picture of Aragorn, this filthy, mangy man who they had no idea who he was, even as the hobbits traveled with him. You expect the obvious answer when you read the text. That's God Himself. God in human flesh. The Creator of all things. Yahweh who stood before them. The One whom every human being should have immediately turned to and recognized and fallen on their faces before Him. And they say, who then is this? 
but he made himself a servant. Jesus made himself a servant. Turn to John 13. John 13, verse 1 through 5. And then verses 12 through 20. And what we see here is Jesus living out the theology which Paul is presenting here in Philippians. This is Jesus portraying what Paul is speaking of in Philippians 2. The first five verses, and then we'll skip down to verse 12 after that. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In verse 12, When he had washed their feet and put, out his, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. The application should hopefully be obvious from this text. Humble servitude. Jesus Christ rose from the table and presented Himself as an example for His disciples to follow. The King of kings, the Teacher and Lord, who is the greatest of all, the One whom we follow, made Himself a bondservant. He kneeled down before His disciples and He washed their feet. And, and notice this here. As, as we're given this, this picture for Christian life, given this demeanor of service and sacrifice, the text says He washed the disciples' feet. It does not say that He did not wash Judas' feet. Jesus Christ knew who Judas was. 
Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, and Judas was the one whose heel was lifted up to destroy Christ, to betray him. And Jesus washed his feet. It's easy when we look at brothers and sisters and say, I can be a servant to that person. And I can be a servant to that, but, but, but not that person. Not that type of person. Jesus washed the feet of one whom he would later say, it would have been better that he were never born. Truly, there is no man more cursed than Judas. And Jesus washed his feet. As, as we go about our lives as Christians, our demeanor should be that of service and sacrifice, to be a bond servant to all even to our enemies, even to those people whom we just we just want to dislike, whose characters and, and behaviors set us off for one reason or another, whether it's the smallest things or the greatest, most heinous sins. Jesus said, to his disciples, this is given to you as an example. Do so unto others. We also see his humiliation in obedience. Philippians 2.8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Considering this, one commentator said, Jesus Christ embraced the role of insignificance and impotence, assuming the form of a servant. And then this should have been met with praise. It was, of course, the instrument of his death. He was the one who was perfect and holy. And so mankind put him on the cross to die. Obedient even unto the point of death. Jesus became accursed by the Father in humble obedience to the Father. So that he might taste death for everyone. So that he would be made perfect through suffering. And being made perfect through suffering would bring many brothers with Him into glory. He stooped down from the heights of heaven to bear in Himself the wrath of God, the shame of mankind, He made himself nothing. And that's the God that we serve. So ask yourself, as Paul says earlier in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that your life? 
Can you truly say that to live is Jesus Christ? Are you willing to be obedient to God even unto the point of death? Even unto the point of death. Will you accept God's calling for you in this life? To serve His kingdom, even if that means the destruction of your body. A continual turning away from the desires of the flesh. The daily battles that we have against the flesh. It's easy to think, oh, well, this is a small sin. It doesn't really matter that much. You find some way to justify it. No, this is a battle between life and death. Jesus Christ gave Himself utterly to the Father, to obedience to the Father. And it's His humiliation which led to His exaltation. That is, stanza three, the highest heights to which Jesus soared. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus knew in His suffering and death that the Father would then exalt Him unto the highest heights, to be seated on the throne of God. And as I said before, so that the purpose was primarily for His glory by bringing many sons into glory with Him. He knew that His place after the resurrection, would be at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's our purpose. Our purpose is a person. It is Christ Himself. Our goal is Jesus Christ. To have that same mind among ourselves. To have the mind which denied himself, deny ourselves, and look entirely to another. To glorify God, to exalt and venerate God rather than ourselves. And Paul says what that looks like is thinking more of the people around you. Think of them more highly than yourselves. It's astonishing to me that I hear not only Christians, but ministers of the Lord who are so arrogant. Who in their pride want to exalt themselves when it should be the joy of every minister to be like John the Baptist who, who says, I, I must decrease. My goal is, is not myself. My goal is Jesus Christ. 
My goal is to point to someone else, to a salvation that is outside of myself, to glorify God. Because it was Jesus Christ who, when He could have demanded, rightfully so, that every man, woman, and child confess His name, glorify Him, He humbled Himself. Have that mind among yourselves. He humbled Himself for worms like us who just can't seem to get enough of ourselves. He humbled Himself to love that which is inherently unlovable. You see what He became when we were the ones who had no beauty, no glory, nothing that God could look at and say, you are worthy to be in My presence. It was Jesus who was despised and rejected of men. It was Jesus who became one from whom men hide their faces. They couldn't bear the sight of Him. He was disgusting. You are the sheep of God's flock. Live as your Lord lived. Die unto yourself. Take up that cross daily. And let us put to death self-righteousness and behold that alien external righteousness of Jesus Christ Himself. Giving Him the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we confess that our thoughts are more often to ourselves than to our brothers and sisters, to the household of God. We think more highly of ourselves and our neighbors, and we think even more highly of ourselves than we do of you. We ask that You would humble us, that we would have hearts that delight in You, hearts which and lives which are pictures of service and sacrifice for Your kingdom and for the sake of Your name. Instill in us a love for the brothers and the sisters that we would that we would love as you have loved us. And that we would love you above all others, even our own selves. That your name would be praised and your word would go forth in power. And we thank you for the glorious expectation of that day when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, to your glory, our God and Father. Please be with us this week as we go about our work, 
strengthen and equip us for the work you have provided for us, that we would do those good deeds which you have prepared for us, that we should walk in them. Sanctify us by your Holy Spirit, that we would more and more die unto ourselves and live for you. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we would receive your word with joy and be humbled before you. In Jesus' name, amen.